0: information to help you run your business better and improve your marketing campaigns. My name is Hank Hoffmeyer and thank you for joining me on Hank's Marketing and Business Tips. Welcome to episode 284 of the HMBT podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer Best. She's the Vice President of Marketing for the AAE Speakers Bureau. Under her leadership in 2022, AAE launched the inaugural Speakers Industry Benchmark Report, bringing transparency to the speaker booking process between both the meeting organizers who book them and the speakers who delight audiences. Jennifer, it's great to have you on the show today because this topic really has not been talked about in depth, Uh, really public speaking, how it can help you personally and professionally. And thank you for joining me today.
1: Absolutely. It's my pleasure, Hank. Thanks for asking.
0: And to disclose, both Jennifer and I are involved with the American Marketing Association Triangle Chapter, which is in Raleigh, North Carolina. We've known each other for a long time, and we're going to get together today to talk about speaking because folks that have tuned in in the past know I'm a public speaker and Jennifer works with public speakers. We're here today to share our knowledge, maybe mine from the side of the stage and yours from the side of how speaking actually benefits uh, someone that wants to get into it or do it more or better. So hopping right into our conversation, what do you feel is the biggest benefit of public speaking, whether or not you um, own a business, uh, work for a business and want to be on stage, or just personally, what do you think is the the biggest benefit to public speaking?
1: Mm, Wow. So that's a big question to start with, Hank. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So um, I would first of all say that Um, Public speaking does not come naturally to a lot of people. So uh, there's a lot of people who are successful in their careers and still struggle with the skill of public speaking. Um, But I see it as a very, very reasonable leap, like an easy channel to lean into um, when you have a brand platform or when you have thought leadership on a topic or subject and you're looking to further educate or inspire an audience. Um, that's where public speaking really can be beneficial. And so a lot of times when we work with speakers, I mean, around the world and event organizers, and and we're looking for people who are really passionate about a topic, but also who can deliver value and education on it. So,
0: right. And I know speakers, bureaus, or conferences that you submit to speak to, they're looking for people that have a lot of experience uh, we probably should back up for folks, maybe who have never done any kind of public speaking, to say that's maybe not where you shoot for right away. The big conferences, or you know, sign up for every spe- speakers bureau that's out there. And speakers bureau, by the way, just helps speakers find uh, gigs for people to to speak at, as well as find organizations and conferences, uh, help the the find the best speakers possible, but. You know, in school, you know, kids can get in front of a class and talk about a topic. You can go to a school as a parent and talk to a class or maybe go to your local chamber of commerce and ask if you can talk about something uh, during an event or something. Start small. Therefore, you can get some practice and get confidence before you start wowing people on stage and talking to thousands and thousands of people which can be daunting uh, imagine getting getting a gig right even though you probably would never get a gig speaking in front of thousands of people and you never spoke in your life getting on stage how how tra- traumatizing that can be. Uh, But really, it's just building up your skills, knowledge, and confidence over time. Even with me, it took me a long time to get to the point where I am. And I've taken some workshops. Uh, One of the biggest things I wanted to do, and it's not hugely important, Jennifer. I'm going to ask you if you feel how important it is, is removing filler words, right? Um, so's, or the um, so's. Uh, It's so hard to do, but I went to a workshop and it was very effective. Uh, Either I pause. And I say in my brain, it doesn't come out my mouth or I remove it altogether. But I did find that sometimes I replace it with a different word, which I'm trying to remove now, but try to remove those filler words and add pauses because it adds a little bit of, um, professionalism to your speaking Uh, i tend to hear it more because i'm listening for it for myself so i hear all these speakers when i go to conferences and how many times did they say so now well they did a really good job or they did it a lot but the average person is not going to know but in your opinion how important is it to remove filler words when you're when you're doing Uh public speaking
1: That is my biggest struggle. (laughs) (laughs) While I work with professional speakers. I myself am definitely in the amateur category. And just to backtrack a little bit on what you were saying, I mean, I got my start on stage per se at my company sales kickoff at the time. Um, And I was thrust in front of an audience of a few hundred people and asked to present on a marketing topic. And I had no idea what I was doing. So um look for opportunities like that like how a lot of people get started there's not a bureau or an agency really out there that's going to take somebody it, you know with the exception of maybe an overnight success like an Amanda Gorman but there's nobody that's going to take somebody who doesn't have that kind of level of experience and comfort and put them on a stage in front of a client that's paying so that's to preface that but as far as the pause I'm going to give props to my friend Matt. Um, he and I talked about this pretty recently and it's something that I've heard from speakers again and again. And the way he phrased it was really quite eloquent. And he said, think about it as you're reading a book and there's chapters for a reason and there's a logical break for a reason. And the same thing goes with speaking. You need to insert those pauses and breaks to allow the audience to kind of absorb the concept that you've just put out there. If you keep talking, they're gonna get distracted. So that is something me personally, I have to practice. (laughs) That is a hard one for me, Uh, but I do work at it. And that's another point that's really important for your audience to know is that you don't just get up on stage and speak. You have to practice, practice, practice. The people that you see at a conference, uh, at an event, at a sales kickoff, typically who are the keynote speaker have done this for like days of years of practicing daily and honing their skill and really learning how to get their message across as effectively as possible. So I can't emphasize that enough, but yes, pause is definitely a good idea.
0: Yeah, definitely don't take that advice lightly, folks. I've been practicing a lot of things, especially when it comes to adding those pauses. And it's hard to remember when you practice it before you get on stage, you don't do what you practice a lot of times, or at least I don't. Uh, It's always good to think, finish your sentence, then I'm going to walk three steps and say something rather than say in your brain, I'm going to pause, tell yourself, I'm going to stop talking and walk three steps. Now, it might be hard if you're behind a podium to do that, but the best place to practice is when you have a wireless mic or a handheld mic. I just spoke at a conference a couple of weeks ago and they had the podium. They had the wireless mic. I saw it was wireless. I pulled it off and walked around the room. I was one of the only ones in that room that did that. But- that is my natural habitat to do that. Also gestures, right? And we should mention gestures are important. I remember the workshop I went to, we were asked to talk about something we're passionate about. For me, it's, it's traveling and vacations. And I said, I went on a big vacation. And for those that are listening audio only, I just put my arms up at my side. And the facilitator said, how big? And I said, a big vacation, same gesture. He said again, how big? same gesture. I started getting what he was talking about. And then I said, I went on a big vacation. Number one, my arms went all the way up. Number two, you heard the inflection in my voice that went up as well. It makes the audience feel what you're saying. And I never thought about that. And to this day, every time I go to talk, I, I need bigger gestures. I need to do bigger, more gestures. And I don't always do that. But then once I stop, I'm like, I didn't do that, but at least I'm acknowledging the problem, but gestures are important, right?
1: I think gestures are very important, and that really hones into a a more broad topic of nonverbal communication being a part of communication. And it's not just the gestures that you're making, but it's the gestures your audience is making. If your audience is staring back at you, completely confused, then maybe you need to step back and rehash something you just said. If they're nodding their heads in agreement, that's, that's a signal that you know you're on track. So, I'm the same way. When I get on stage, I like to walk around. I think it's the nervous energy in me that I just have to kind of keep moving. I can't really stand still and just talk. So, I think when I see an audience that is nodding their heads or shit, you know, just, you know, or looking to me like for maybe further clarification, like you have to rely on nonverbal. And that goes for us too. If you're looking to make a point, be deliberate about using hand gestures as much as you can because you don't want it to become so distracting that your message gets kind of confused Um, but I have seen speakers that do this really really well where they're they're very um, I'll use the word authentic they're very authentic to their personality and if their personality is very large and very animated then that just feeds into the experience and at the end of the day that's what experience is what matters the most So you have to remember that be authentic to yourself. If hand gestures are your thing, go ahead, do it. Uh, But just be cognizant of your audience cues feeding back at you. If they start to look like you're losing them a little bit or they're getting distracted, um, look for other ways to bring them back in.
0: I have a short story about that. I remember speaking at a conference and I was talking about email marketing best practices, which sometimes people don't agree with. And there was a gentleman in the front row, laid back in his seat, arms crossed, scowl on his face the whole time, looking at me, listening to me intently. I, and I said, this this gentleman just does not agree with what I'm saying. And he's, he's, he's going to spam people. He probably buys lists. All like, well, this is going through my head. And the most important thing I did is after I found him and I said, hey, did you like my talk? He's like, That was excellent. I had I got so many great ideas and didn't know I needed to do this and that. It just, the, it was the way he was, but I was reading it wrong. Like that it, I was doing something wrong and saying the wrong things, but I was saying the right things. Always ask for feedback. Um, there's a gentleman that we both know, Stan Phelps, that you know has always asked me, ask people, hey, how was my talk? And if they say it was great, always ask them what made it great. Because obviously if they start rolling their eyes and they're thinking about what to say, they're placating you, right? But if they give you actual feedback, then you can use that. I had somebody tell me once, Hey, it's great information. You need to slow down a little bit more so we can absorb it. You tend to be high pace and very, a very fast talker. And I've taken that to heart. I tried to slow down a little bit, but I'm Hank, I'm always on one and a half speed, but I try to slow down. Now, I think that's a
1: really important thing (laughs) that you just highlighted too. And that's something that I've talked about often is that communication starts with listening. And uh, a lot of people think that it just means getting out there and starting to talk, but there's a lot that goes in behind it. But the most important thing is to listen to what people are saying before you're engaging with them. Uh, Same thing goes for an audience, like your audience want to hear, taking that feedback, like you just said, it was a great example Mm -hmm. um, and taking it to your next presentation and your next speech. And what did you, what did you gather from that, that you need to continue to do going forward? So it's a great point you made.
0: Now, Jennifer, you've helped me learn why I should do public speaking and some best practices. How do I go about finding opportunities to get in front of people in a room or on a stage or maybe just doing it virtually? What are some ways that I can get in front of audiences?
1: Well, I think one of the biggest ways is to look for organizations like you and I mentioned in the beginning. We're part of the American Marketing Association, our local chapter here in Raleigh, North Carolina. But there are chapters all over the country and not just the American Marketing Association. There are other organizations that are nonprofit that are looking to provide educational programming for their members. And that's a great opportunity to kind of get your foot in the door um, in the speaking industry to just start getting your message out there. Those are oftentimes unpaid gigs, but they pay a lot in, in networking capability. They pay a lot in experience for you. So that's a good place to start um also i'm a big fan of the uh, national speakers association we do have a chapter here that's another organization that stan is a part of and i think that for somebody who is just about getting into the industry that's a really great place for them to start because you will be among like speakers who have started their own businesses and there's a lot of learning to be had that way so i recommend that um if as you work into your career i mean i always recommend looking for bigger and better events and conferences as a bureau ourselves we um we always are kind of keeping an eye out for people who are hitting some of the bigger conferences um dreamforce being one inbound is another one um milkins events forbes those those type of events when you start hitting those type of events those are things that will put you on the radar of a bureau Um, and so I think one other point to make is that think of speaking is always your business. So if you want to be a speaker, you have to market it. Like you would market any other business if you were selling a service or product. And so don't go into it thinking like, I'm just going to talk and people are going to come my way and I'm just going to have more business than I know what to do with that is not at all how it works. So you have to be prepared to always be marketing yourself as a brand. Um, putting yourself out there. Like, you know, we're doing this podcast today is a great way just to show thought leadership and skill. And I think that there are a lot of people out there who are going to benefit from stuff we're sharing.
0: Everything you've been saying, it's like, wow, we can talk about this probably for like two hours on (laughs) on a podcast. Uh, uh, Number one, you you need to get to a level when you start hunting down well-known conferences, right? Once you get to that level, what I started doing is I used HubSpot the free, you know, their free version of their CRM. I would go and say, "Hey, I'm in marketing. I want to speak at a marketing conference." And I would find one maybe in South Carolina. And I would just go to their website and try to find out when their conference happens. And then a few months before it happens the next year, I find out when their call for speakers is. Sometimes they host put it on the website where you can sign up to be alerted when that happens. And I put a task in to follow up with that that um that organization so that I can submit a talk. And then that means you need to have prepared topics with your title, a uh, description, key takeaways, um, you know, headshots available. You need all this information for when you do submit. Uh, but that's probably my biggest tip as far as finding conferences to speak at once you become sort of an established speaker, is using a CRM to help you track uh, and submit to those opportunities. And some people even hire virtual assistants to help them with that. Because like you said, Uh, it's like a full-time job. It's like branding yourself because then you need to have maybe a speaker's page on your website or a landing page that talks about you and what you speak about. And every now and then develop some new talks. I had to develop one new recently because some of the historical topics i've had are a little bit outdated i had one that was you know how to grow your email marketing list in a pandemic that is not really relevant anymore i had to remove that from my topics and add something new which was email marketing for the last of us you know using ai and email marketing together to survive a marketing apocalypse and i thought that was good and went went over well the last time i tried it um Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, I think, you know, we talked about starting small, if you've never spoken before local organizations, and like you said, you're not getting paid and that's fine, Uh, but you're getting in front of people, you're getting experience, you are developing confidence, and uh, then you can start hitting bigger stages or opportunities, and then you start to become well-known and then you join the NSA, right? And you start going to those events and those conferences are awesome. You can learn a lot there. Uh, then you start working with speakers bureaus, right? What is it like working with a speakers bureau? If nobody's ever heard of what they are and what they do, <laughs> let's do. Yeah, that. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take that bureau. one. That's
1: a whole other. That's a whole other episode. But <laughs> let me let me get to that in one second. But I do want to go back because I feel like I missed one point that I want to share with your audience. Sure. is That there are um, as you're emerging and you decide, hey, speaking of something I kind of want to do, there are speaker coaches out there as well. And so find a speaker coach. NSA does have a lot of people who our coaches as well, but they're also out there and they kind of do this out of, you know, their passion for the industry. And so that's a really good way to get somebody to coach you, especially if they have an understanding of your subject matter area, which should be something that is a niche topic. And um, so for example, if you go out and say, I'm going to be the biggest motivational speaker in the whole entire world, you have a lot of competition. But if you are somebody who can speak on the intersection of, AI and its impact on the financial sector, or you know, your futurist specifically talking about the evolution of healthcare, like looking for those niche topics. Find your niche
0: mm-hmm. because
1: you want to be unique, and that will help you get bookings. But on the topic of what a speakers bureau does, and
0: before that. you jump on that, it's like it's like we keep beating each other. uh Locally here in Raleigh, look up. Uh, uh oh god it just went out of my head but uh Millswick right and that's Alan Hoffler right he has a local Mm -hmm. workshop for speakers that's where I learned to remove my filler words and then Karen McCullough she has a great workshop and information on developing a keynote and she will work with you on -on one-on-one I don't know if you have anybody to mention before you get into the speakers bureau but those are two that I remember
1: (laughs) a friend of mine Odell Bizzell who is local here in the triangle as well he um he and I have chatted before. He invited me when our first benchmark report came out to talk to his class of coaches or students. Um, and so I would say give Odell a shout if his background is what you're looking to do. All right. um, but yeah, there's definitely great speakers. And again, NSA is a good place to start also. Um, so you want to talk about what a Speakers Bureau is and does? Because I yes. That's a good one.
0: <laughs> okay so um i saw you probably... smile real real broadly mm-hmm. there
1: <laughs> now because i am very fortunate to be chatting um within my industry with a lot of leaders within other speakers bureaus right now and this is a topic that came up recently at a conference that they had and this is something that we feel as a collective industry is missing for us is the understanding of what a speakers bureau can truly do for a speaker for an event organizer Um, The Speakers Bureau typically will have a roster of speakers, either exclusive or non-exclusive, that they will book for event planners. And the way that they make money is by charging a percentage markup of the speaker fee. Typically, the speaker will set their fee. A bureau will have a markup on top of that, just at a simplistic level. And then for that service, the Speakers Bureau, in our case, will provide full service um, support for that speaker. So, When we book a speaker for a client of ours and the clients of ours will be companies and organizations. And um, so we will book a speaker. Then we have a full in-house team that handles contracts, payments, logistics, 100%. So if I'm a very busy event planner, and to be honest, all of the event planners I know are so busy, um, this takes one thing off your plate. So you can worry about the 20 other things you've got to do to get your event off. Um, This will help make sure that your speaker has not only an agenda, they understand the audience, they have prepped ahead of time, they have travel arranged for them, not just travel, but a backup travel plan. So these are the kinds of services that a bureau can often provide, Um, but not all bureaus are the same. So I will say that there are certain bureaus and agencies out there that you have exclusive rosters of speakers and that is really like kind of almost the top tier of speaking when you get to that level where um, an agency wants to exclusively represent you and this is almost always like think celebrity level representation um but it doesn't have to be that high up and so you have bureaus that focus on their represented clients they're contractually bound they're going to pre- present them to clients more often probably than other speakers then you have bureaus that are um, that do a mix of both. And so we actually fall under the third category, which are we don't represent speakers at all. So our business model is a little bit different. Um, We represent our event organizers and the clients that we work with in the Fortune 500 companies that we work with, they come to us. We have a broad range of connections within the industry with all of the different agencies who do represent these talent. And then we can help to broker that relationship and to bring everybody together. So, um, it's important to know when you work with the bureau what their business model is. as somebody who um really has learned this industry a lot in the last couple of years, I would say, like, it's really important to ask those questions. You know, do you have exclusive representation? Would this be exclusive representation? It would be um beneficial to you to not necessarily be exclusive right out of the gate. And the reason why is that, when you're exclusive out of the gate, other bureaus and agencies who could broker cannot promote you. And so we have a set of speakers that we cannot really promote to our clients publicly and build up business for them. Um, and so when you are starting out in the industry, it's really in your best interest to have your name out to as many people as will talk about it to help bring you business. Think of it like in marketing speak, it's like your channel network of, you know, I can resell my products. If I have a Sony TV, I can resell it in all of these different stores. I don't have to sell it on sony.com. I can sell it everywhere. And so that's important as you're starting out to remember that you want to try to cast a broad net. You want to get in front of as many people as you can. And that's how you really start snowballing your career. Right.
0: Great. That was like the TLDR, but I know like we can have a full episode around that. <laughs> um, but one thing about, <laughs> you, yeah, like you I said, asked get- <laughs>
1: the question. So. Yeah.
0: yeah. Get your name out there and submit to many conferences as you can, that you feel like you're a good fit because, you know, for me, there was one conference that I've always wanted to speak at. And normally it's either you had to be a very well-known speaker or be a sponsor. And I submitted, I think it was 10 years. And finally, I think it was last year I got accepted and I spoke at that conference and I just kept plugging at it because I said, I want to speak there. Then also, you know, when I first started speaking and I knew I was starting to do well and speaking at conferences, I set a goal in two years, I want to do a paid keynote and I actually did it in one year make sure that you stay diligent about it because it is a way to grow your business go grow, grow your brand grow your confidence and it can bring you revenue, right? Uh, a lot is oh, important for us to mention. A lot of conferences that you go to speak to or even small local nonprofits, they don't really like if you're selling from this stage. Like every other oh, yeah. paragraph sentence is you promoting something you do, selling, giving a coupon code or something. A lot of times at the end, you can give away to uh, contact you, et cetera, maybe have an offer at the end or something like that, or, or mention, hey, if you wanna work with us, contact us. But it should not be a sales pitch because- that will turn off your audience, number one. And then also it makes the uh, conference organizers very angry. Uh, that's usually in their agreements. And then if you just don't adhere to that, you get on the stage and you start selling, you'll never, ever be invited back.
1: <laughs> that's a good point. So I did a, a session last year, and I'm excited because I'll be going back this year with two speaking opportunities at the same conference for um, the special event. And um, for that event, it was talking about the highlights from our 2023 Speaking Industry Benchmark Report. And so one way that you can do this is because the topic was about the report, this was actually the release opportunity for us. This is how we launched the report um, released during the year. And so I talked about the data heavily throughout the entire session. And at the end, I offered a QR code. If you wanna download an advanced copy, here you go. Um, And so there are ways for you to build a connection with the audience without blatantly promoting the business. Like I was not up there saying, here's why you should book with us. We're the best bureau, right? Like that was not at all the case. You need to make sure that you are representing what your message is. So if your message is talking about authenticity and um, best practices for a specific industry, like you want to make sure that you are delivering in a way that is authentic and authoritative and meeting what you're saying.
0: That's And it's like, I knew this, but I didn't know this, but it's a great tip because with the resurgence of QR codes since the pandemic, now you can have those on a screen behind you while you're talking in your deck. And it can be, here are the top five ways to X and you scan this QR code to get this as a download version. And then you can have a way to opt into a newsletter or something like that. So you're selling, but not selling. But that was a great segue into the report. Can folks that are listening to this episode get a copy of that report?
1: Yeah. Sure, I will drop a link for you to drop into the show notes. Um, So the Speaking Industry Benchmark Report is like a little passion project. We love this report, Um, but we are getting ready. And as we're recording this, it is December. Um, In January, we'll be launching our next survey. So if you are interested in the data that we have for the 2023 report, absolutely download it. Um, But I would say download it now so that you can be a part of the survey that's about to release. Um, Because we're always looking for new perspectives and ideas and we really heavily use this information to bring together and and increase transparency, like we mentioned in the beginning, between event organizers and speakers, because that makes for a better experience when we're talking about negotiation. Like we all need to get on the same page. And that's something across the entire speaking industry is that we all need to have a better understanding of what everybody's roles are and how it works. And I think that by having this report and providing your feedback into the data that goes into the report, that helps you in the long run because an event organizer will then understand where you're coming from.
0: Awesome. And then how can people learn more about AAE?
1: Oh, sure. (laughs) Okay. So um, I will also share the links to our website in there, but we are on all of the socials under AAE speakers. So you can find us on LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter X, and YouTube. So definitely check us out. Um, You can find me on LinkedIn, send me a connection request. And um, if you have any questions about what we do or what bureaus do, I'm happy to answer those.
0: And for those that have not gotten into public speaking, and then you start to become a little bit known locally, a little little local superstar, you can go to AAE and submit a profile and let AAE work and help you find more uh, speaking gigs. until then folks i think this was an awesome episode i do want to mention you know i was talking about how i speak about email marketing and email marketing best practices uh, if you have a list that's a little bit older or you're acquiring a lot of email addresses uh, because you work for a large company, you might want to check out Kickbox. It's a company I do work for, so I don't want to disclaim that, but they are an email list validation service. Um, one of the differences between other services is we do on-the-fly validation. In other words, we can integrate into your form. So if somebody fat fingers their email address, we can help them correct that before it becomes something where people will not get your emails um, we do offer 100 free credits to try uh, us out, but I just want to make sure that you are aware of that service and it's something that you should be using uh, since most people are not aware of. Jennifer, it was. Such a pleasure. I know we're going to have to revisit this topic down the road and it'll be great Let because it, yeah. when that episode drops, maybe we'll get some people saying, Hey, I listened to the first episode and now I'm a you know well-known key, key keynote speaker and I'm traveling the country and the world and speaking. And we can know that we changed people's lives and uh, help them remove those dreaded ums and so's from their talks.
1: <laughs> I hope so. I mean, that is really the dream, but it's also just about you know, get your message out there. I mean, part of the most rewarding thing in our industry is when we see speakers who speak on topics that are so meaningful for an audience, like mental health, especially. um, And when they're able to get those messages across effectively, I mean, that's life changing. So
0: public speaking is the best way to grow yourself personally and professionally. A little play on your name there, Jen. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <All> <laughs> well, right, so
1: folks. That one I have not heard yet. Thanks, man. I appreciate
0: it. Have a great day, everybody.
1: Bye-bye.